Hi there, everyone, and welcome in to the Career Competitor Podcast with me, Steve Meller. And as always, we're brought to you by my friends over at CG Sports Network, and we are the show that seeks to light that competitive fire within you in order to jumpstart or optimize your career. My guest today is someone that not only optimized her career as a professional swimmer for many years, but is now finding ways to do the exact same within her career within sports media. She has recently just been appointed one of the members of the NBC broadcasting crew for this coming Tokyo Olympic Games. She is Elizabeth Beisel, and she is joining us today, fresh off the back of the American Olympic trials, where she was also working for NBC. And I must mention, from a personal career standpoint, I am delighted to be able to tell you all that I myself placed one of my athletes onto the U.S. Olympic team at these recent Olympic trials. So it was wonderful to have an opportunity to speak to Elizabeth soon after these trials, discussing so much of her career path, where she's heading with anything and everything that she's doing. But one thing I really want you all to pay attention to here is the formula that she was able to rely upon as an athlete is now the very formula that she is relying on in order to build this career within sports media. And that is what our show is all about, finding those connections between the athlete's story and being able to take that competitive edge that comes with being an athlete and implementing it in any other component, any other facet of life, and finding ways to optimize your success. So couldn't be happier to have Elizabeth joining us for you all to hear more about her story and for her to provide some fantastic insight into the personality, the competitor behind the success that Elizabeth Beisel is. So without any more delay, let's jump right into this interview with my guest, three-time Olympian, Olympic medalist, Elizabeth Beisel, and I hope you all enjoy. Hey everyone, just a quick reminder before we jump into the interview that if you're not yet, you should be subscribed to the show. If you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts, go ahead, press that subscribe button, and at the same time, leave us some sort of rating as well. I think we're worthy of five stars. I'll leave that up to you. But at the same time, these ratings go a long, long way. So especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, subscribe to the show. But whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to be following us. And also, if you're on Instagram, career underscore competitor, that's where you're going to find more information about our episodes, some behind-the-scenes footage of each and every interview. And you can, of course, use Instagram to reach out to me, direct message me, let me know what you think of episodes, what you think of the show, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Steve Meller. Send me a message. Let me know if you or maybe someone you know would be a great person to come on the show. But for now, let's go right to our interview. Okay, well, I am extremely excited to be welcoming on Elizabeth Beisel to the Career Competitor Podcast. First and foremost, nobody else knows this, Elizabeth, but we've had an absolute nightmare trying to get this thing off the ground, but we're doing it now. How are you doing today? Third time's a charm. Wi-Fi is up and running. We are good to go, and I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Well, honestly, Elizabeth, like it's been long time coming because I've we've obviously had a common contact in CG Sports for for a while now. You've been working with them for some time, and I myself have been with them for a year or so now. And you've you've always been a guest that we've discussed behind the scenes, bringing onto the show. And I'm glad that we're doing it now because, quite honestly, from a career standpoint, 
you are really starting to find some momentum with what it is you're doing away from your past life, let's say, as a swimmer. So before we dive in too much to the past life of swimming and all that kind of stuff, why don't you fill everybody in on what you've been doing recently and how your career is really starting to take off now? Yeah, so thank you for saying all that. That's so kind of you. Um, (laughs) It's been a slow roll, I feel like. And finally, it's gotten to the point where things are picking up. And that obviously has a little bit to do with COVID and the slowness of last year, but also just the nature of the games being this summer. But basically, once I graduated the University of Florida, which was in 2014, I started to commentate and announce local swim meets in Gainesville, you know, doing anything and everything for free just to get the reps in. Um, Mm -hmm. Because like anything in the journalism world, you have to have the reps in order to be good. And so I I built enough of a rapport amongst like the Gainesville swimming community where I would do these little age group meets and it was so much fun. And then I started slowly getting into conference meets. I did ACs for my first time about two to three years ago then got brought on for SECs as an on-deck reporter. Um, And then I was offered an audition at NBC in January of 2020. Mm. So this is about a year and a half ago now. And that audition was basically to be an analyst at the then 2020 games, which they are still called that, but they're just in 2021 now. Um, So I went to this audition. I drove down to Stamford, Connecticut, and I auditioned in the same room that Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir auditioned in, which was very special to me because I absolutely love them and adore (laughs) them and admire them. So I already felt the good vibes and the good juju. I did the audition where they pretty much put on blind races from world championships, and I was calling them next to a man that I never met. He just worked at NBC, kind of stepped Mm -hmm. in for the day. And we did that for a couple hours. And then pretty much a few months later, it it took a couple months to hear back. Um, But they finally called me and they said, hey, you've got the job. This is awesome. We can't wait to go to Tokyo with you. And then, of course, obviously, the Olympics got postponed. So since then, it's been a little bit dormant because Mm. there was no Olympics. There were no Olympic trials. So I've been picking up odd jobs here and there since then. Um, Mm -hmm. But finally, we've reached kind of the pinnacle this summer where I get to work my first real NBC gig as an analyst at the Tokyo Games. So I'm really, really excited. I'm very nervous. Absolutely. A lot of emotions, um, um, but grateful to be a part of the team and still be in the sport, but without swimming like six hours a day, which is kind of nice. That is the bonus right there. That is the bonus. Staying dry and not having to worry too much about the training that comes with it. Uh, it's. I, I love the story because for me, when you look at a lot of sport analysts, especially in the major sports, the footballs, the basketballs, people don't really go and get reps. They, they finish and they have this name that's this big drawer because there's so many different channels and different versions of what it is that's available in the world of basketball, football, and all this sort of thing. There seems to be a job for everybody, no matter what their skill set is. And when you have such a limited amount of media coverage as we do in the sport of swimming, 
it means that when you have those opportunities, you better be really, really good at it. You better be really, really good at it. And you better have had tons and tons of reps in terms of being able to obviously do a good job when, you're, when your name is called upon. And that's clearly what you've been able to do here in the last couple of years. And, and I myself as a swimming fan, as someone that works within the sport, I'm also at SECs every year. You actually interviewed one of my athletes when he when he won the 100 freestyle a couple of years ago. Brooks and Curry. He, uh, Brooks Curry, I that's I it. remember. Yeah, how do you forget that interview? Amazing. Uh, of course. Um, no. But in, in, in terms of... In terms of just you now looking ahead with your career, you're going to get this amazing experience with the Olympic Games coming up, obviously. What is, what's the goal? What's the outlook for your career? Where are you trying to go with this? I think there are a lot of different avenues that I'm exploring. I'm finally at the point where I adore this sport. It is why I am the person that I am today, and I want to stay in it. So if that means I'm an analyst doing color for NBC, that's great. If it means I'm on deck reporter, also great. I would love to dive more into like the human interest stories about all the athletes, um, especially the ones that get third place at trials or are kind of always almost there, but never quite make it. Mm -hmm. There are just so many stories that I want to tell personally. Um, and if NBC eventually gives me that platform, that would be amazing. And it's, it's so interesting too working with all of the different networks and what each network wants from you as an analyst. NBC loves storytelling. They love more human interest. They don't really care about splits. They don't care about the technicalities of swimming. They care about what's going to pull up my heartstrings. Why do I want to keep tuning in to watch this athlete? Mm -hmm. Whereas SEC Network, which is ESPN, they know that their audience is a little bit more swimming junkie heavy. Mm -hmm. So they allow you to get into the weeds a little bit. And I think that's mm -hmm. one thing that maybe most people don't understand about this job commentating. You know, Rowdy gets a lot of flack for what he's talking about on NBC. And it's like, guys, that's what they want. Like, yeah. they're not catering to the 5,000 mega swim fans that tune in every swim meet. Mm -hmm. They are catering to the millions of people at home that watch sport once every four years. That guess what? They don't know what the black backstroke flags are. Right. They don't know why there are, are lap counters in a mile. You know, right. it's these little things that you, of course, know as a swim fan, but mm. you have to remember that there is a bigger picture here that they are catering to. It's It's been a very eye-opening experience working with different networks and seeing what they want. But regardless of where I end up, I definitely want to be on the journalism side of swimming because I also want to just make this sport more popular. I mm. want people that dedicate their lives to such a grueling and unrewarding sport to feel like they've, you know, gotten at least some accolades or, or attention, you know, like yeah. once every four years, that's not really a lot. So yeah. hopefully we can keep growing the sport and making it a bigger thing so that these athletes can feel worthy and feel like their work is, is appreciated. Absolutely. Well, you and I had that common goal of, of that human interest and sharing stories, uh, you know, because for me, I think these these sports are the ones, Olympic sports, swimming, etc. These are the sports where stories aren't told enough. And like you said, there are so many people that are third, fourth, fifth. There are so many people that get so close so many times 
and they never end up in people's living rooms at an Olympic Games because they were so close so many times. And those stories still serve a purpose. They still can be heard. And I think that's powerful stuff. And I love that you have that type of ambition in terms of trying to deliver content in that capacity because I think it is a a huge there is a huge demand for it and certainly I can I can see you being very busy uh, in, in Tokyo for sure covering so many different personal stories because there's plenty of stories to tell I'm sure but let's let's rewind a little bit here Elizabeth and talk a little bit about you the swimmer you know you didn't just swim you swam the most difficult events you did you did the ones that people don't like to do and I was the same as an athlete too. And, and so for me personally, I've always had that built into my personality. Oh, there's something to do that nobody else wants to do. Okay, Steve, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And, and, and you know, in terms of who you are now, you know, you've spoken about your career today. Let's go back to you, the swimmer. What was your identity as a swimmer? What made Elizabeth Beisel Elizabeth Beisel? I think I was kind of like you, Steve. I was just willing to do the work. And I knew that I wasn't the most talented in the pool. Like I was very self-aware. Um, and I knew that if I wanted to reach the goals that I had in mind, like make an Olympic team, like win an Olympic medal, I was going to have to grind. And I was lucky enough to team Bluefish Swim Club coached under Chuck Batchelor, where that was kind of embedded into the culture of the team. And so there was no real other option. If you were a Brooks Curry and you swam the hundred free, you were doing the same exact practice that Elizabeth Beisel was doing swimming the 400 IM. And you just kind of hoped that it was going to work out in the end. And for me, that worked out great because I took so much pride in being that athlete that didn't shy away from ridiculous practices. Like Mm -hmm. I was like the harder, the better, bring it on. I embrace this. I love this. I know this is what's going to give me the confidence for when I step up behind the blocks at Olympic trials as a 15 year old. And Mm -hmm. I think that was my identity. I was just a hard worker. I was willing to put my head in the ground and just go um, because I kind of had no other options. You know, I was smaller as an athlete, you know, five foot six. So I had a lot of ground to make up on. And I think I did that through just grinding out the yards. And I, and I am aware that that culture is changing within the swimming world. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely grew up, a more old school mentality but to each their own that is Mm -hmm. what works for me and if that's what works for you and you're listening to this right now embrace that you know Mm -hmm. not everything works for everybody so if you find something that clicks and works with your event go for it you know you don't have to be doing what everybody else is doing um so that's my little token of advice i guess for (laughs) 400 imers that are grinding it out and probably aren't happy about it but guys you need to do it it's okay it'll work out right right but it's so it very much mirrors this journey that you're on right now with your uh with your media career is that you don't know what the finish looks like you don't necessarily know exactly what it is what opportunities you're working towards next you just know that the one that's being put in front of you is one that you're really excited to work hard towards and and i think there's a lot to be said about that in terms of you the summer as well you get handed this crazy set that many people look at and go can you believe we're doing this stuff right now and you look at it and you say bring it on like this is this is what you want from me today then this is what you'll get from me today and i think that is something that even though the the method let's say is slightly different in the sport of swimming today i i still think that mindset is 
incredibly necessary for, for kids to get the most out of the sport uh, in terms of realizing their potential. They need to look at what opportunities are in front of them and really make the most of them. And you've born and raised in the sort of Northeast and you obviously came down to Florida for college and you've pretty much stayed in the South sort of thing now. Is that about right? Or are you back up in the North? So I was in the South for eight years, um, yeah. but I'm back up in the North now. I'm above the Mason-Dixon, okay. um, back in Rhode Island where I grew up. But yeah, I was in Florida. So I had my four years of undergrad and then I trained and lived there for another three to four. And after that, I moved back up North. So now you're just more comfortable being away from the sun and being outside all the time. Is that about right? Yes, I've acclimated <laughs> back to the cold weather. It's actually beautiful now. You know, like I would say in Rhode Island, May through October are prime. Yeah. They are like the best months. It is the only place that I'd want to be. I need to start looking into traveling more between November and April because that is when it's misery. And if you're from New England, you know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, so those months are when I miss Florida the most. Sure. But I think one of the things that I don't miss about Florida was when we would be, you know, at a 2 p.m. afternoon practice in the stadium going up and down the stairs. And it's over 100 degrees. The humidity is so thick and heavy in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I was like, like, as a freshman, I was like, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> I live in Rhode Island where it doesn't really get over 90 ops. And that's like once a year. Right. Um, but obviously, like with anything, you acclimate to it. But I like Florida is my second home, especially Gainesville. Mm. Um, it's just such a small college town where I'm sure it's like LSU. You know, yep. you just have that homey feel yep. and you're just happy to always return. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and with you with you talking about Florida there, you know, it, it really was the place where your name in the world of swimming was put on the map, so to speak. And you talk about a competitive environment. That's what this show is all about is, is how do we take a competitor and how do we set that competitive mindset off on a fantastic career? You know, you've talked about you in terms of how you trained and how you prepared. In terms of Elizabeth Beisel, the competitor, in terms of what that environment at Florida being surrounded by so many similar-minded individuals being ran by a coach that had very much been there and done that for so many years and Coach Troy... You know, what was it about you, the competitor that you felt came to really just optimize yourself through those years when you were down in Florida? I just think Florida for my like grinded out mindset was the perfect place for me. But I think that competitor in me thrived at Florida because I was constantly being pushed by not just the men, but also the women on that team. I mean, I can't tell you how many dogfight sets I have with Gemma Spuffer, Steph Proud, Teresa Crippen, like old school Florida names, where we had the best backstrokers in the literal world mm -hmm. in one pool for the women. And then on top of that, I emmers with the guys. You know, I trained with Ryan Lochte every single day. And then PVK, Connor Dwyer, Sean and Brett Frazier. Like, it didn't matter what type of practice it was. I was going up against the best in the world mm -hmm. and that keeps you humble. It keeps you honest. And I think 2012, actually Greg Troy and I had this conversation at trials just a week or two ago where we were sitting and we were like, 2012 was the most special year at the university of Florida. You know, we had 
Connor Dwyer, Peter Vanderkay, me, Ryan Lochte, all make the Olympic team on the first night of trials. We all medaled in all of our events at the Olympic Games that summer. And that entire year leading up to those games and those trials, every single day in practice, like you had to show up or else you were leaving so defeated and your ego was broken. Yeah. And it, it was just a very special environment to be in. You know, yeah. I was tested to my own personal limits, like doing 5,000 long course sets on 110 base. Yeah. It's me and the boys. Yeah. But I knew I had to do that in order to be great. And I had Connor and PVK and Ryan and all those guys pushing me every single day. So it was just an amazing environment to be in. It will never be replicated again. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just grateful to have been there to witness it and be there. Yeah, it's almost impossible to realize it in the moment, how special it is, you know. We had no idea. Yeah, yeah. we had no idea. We had absolutely no idea. no idea. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's what I love about just we talked about these these personal accounts, you know, these 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 true stories of of what it's like to be involved in our sport, and I think, you know, these are the types of stories that ten, twenty years down the road have so much value because they start to create a value. You start to see the value years and years down the road, and you know, in terms of shaping who it is you are now today, and this this group, I assume that if you were to walk into a room with them tomorrow, if you'd not seen them in years it would be like you were right back there in 2012 immediately. And that's the special stuff that our sport is so beautiful about. It's just so special that you can have those relationships. Um, and I, I do want to start to bring this to a close more so in the sense of, you know, taking that competitor that you were there to get to where you did in 2008, 2012, 2016, a, a captain in 2016, obviously embodying those characteristics across multiple Olympic Games for other team members to be able to be inspired by and learn from. Here you are now on this very personal career path where you're not necessarily being able to do it with a crew the way you did in swimming. Now you're on your own. What sort of lessons from those competitive days in 2012, for, for, for example, are you able to carry now while you're doing this journey all by yourself? Yeah, it's it's definitely hard, this journey that I'm on right now, um, because I definitely have a little bit of imposter syndrome where, you know, at trials, I was sitting next to Mike Tirico. And that man is a legend yeah. in the journalism world. Yes, and is. if you don't know who he is, look him up. Like, he can call any sport. He is just incredible at what he does and then there's me sitting there who has never worked an NBC job in my life mm. and I am it's like one of these things doesn't belong and it's definitely <laughs> me um but I will say like I remember in 2008 feeling like that mm -hmm. you know I'm 15 on my first Olympic team I have no friends I don't know what I'm doing there I'm like do I belong and in 2008, I had to keep reminding myself, like, yes, you earned your spot here. You swam fast enough to make the Olympic team in two events. Yeah. So, yeah, you belong to be here, even though you're not at the same stage of life or stage in your career. And I've actually found myself, especially at trials a couple weeks ago, pulling on those memories and those feelings because they were the exact same. I'm just yep. 28 years old now. And I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I don't have the experience and maybe those are true. Maybe they're not, but you know, Mike Tirico 
sitting me down multiple times, giving me unsolicited advice is exactly what people like Natalie Coughlin did for me in 2008, you know, making me feel welcomed and as if I'm a part of the team. And so, you know, when Mike sits me down and he's talking to me about my posture, when I talk about my projection, about little intricacies that I would have never known about, but him being a 30 plus year expert in the field picks up on immediately. And so it's just something that I hope maybe in 30 years, if I'm still doing this, Hmm. I can do for the next Elizabeth Beisel, who is coming to take my spot as an analyst at NBC. And it's just like, it's so beautiful what goes around. It always comes around. And, you know, when I was swimming, I was doing that for the rookies in 2016, you know, Mm -hmm. little Haley Flickener. Kathleen Baker, all of these Reagan Smith in 2017, you know, sitting them down, showing them the ropes, letting them know that, Hey, I've been in your shoes. I'm going to try to make this as easy as possible for you because I know how you're feeling and it's really, really hard. And so it's, it's really been cool to have already lived these feelings and to know that everything will be okay. Yeah. Because (laughs) I still feel like an imposter at NBC. I still feel like I haven't really, earned my spot but Mm. i did audition i did get the job it wasn't just handed to me so that's also something that i need to remind myself more of um but yeah it's 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 crazy how like similar lives happen in one long life like my swimming life is so now similar to my journalism life and right will be whatever my next life is yeah so and that, that's, that's honestly, my long-winded answer no I, and i love it because that's what we're about as a show like this is literally the content that i'm trying to pull from from our guests is is that we have these lives in athletics whatever sport it may be that set us up for so many successes down the road that have absolutely nothing to do with the sport that we were doing yet yes of course you're still covering the sport of swimming but the path that you're having to take in order to become a success in media has really nothing to do with being in a swimming pool. It's all about the characteristics and the qualities that were required for you to be successful when you were in that format. And that's what we're all about on this show. So I'm so, I'm actually very appreciative that you're able to give me that long-winded answer because it gives us all the content that we're about on this show. And that's, um, that's fantastic. But before I let you go, Elizabeth, please Firstly, tell everybody how we can give you a follow. But secondly, tell us a little bit about your book as well, because it's a great book and it's a very successful book at this point and people need to be reminded of it. So why don't you go ahead? Thanks. Um, <laughs> so you can follow me on social media. All of my handles are ebizel 34 um, And then the book, it's named Silver Lining. Very punny because like obviously the highest Olympic medal that I won was silver. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the resounding theme throughout the entire book is about finding the silver lining in spaces where it's really hard to. And mm-hmm. I wanted to really write a book that was relatable because oftentimes we as Olympians are put on a pedestal and we're superheroes and no one's ever going to be like us and we never have bad days. And it's like, oh my goodness, that couldn't be further from the truth. Like. Right. We are all human. I don't care if you're Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, or Elizabeth Beisel. We've all gone through the same struggles and doubts and fears that everybody has. It's just maybe we're doing it at a higher stage at the Olympic Games. And so I wanted to write a book that was easily readable and relatable, regardless of what your level of athlete was, regardless of what sport you play, um, and to hopefully just shine a light on some things that 
all athlete athletes go through Olympian or not. And to know that it's okay to be feeling a certain way at a certain time in your career. It's okay to want to quit. It's okay to get injured. You know, all of these things we all go through. And so it's a very easy read. You can read it in like literally a day. Um, it's big print. You're welcome, everybody. Um, but it was it was a blast writing it. And there's, of course, like some really awesome stories in there, like feel good stories. But there's also stories that aren't feel good stories. But I didn't feel like it would be fair to publish a book that was just all rainbows and butterflies because sure. that's a lie. That's, yep. that's social media. You know, you, we only show the good stuff and we never right. show the bad stuff. So I wanted to touch on the bad stuff in a calm and humbling way to hopefully give some people peace of mind if they're going through the same thing. So. Absolutely. And it's so consistent with everything, with everything else that you brought up as well in this 30 minute discussion. It really is. And uh, honestly, I, I look forward to silver, the silver linings, part two when you're maybe 20 years down the road in this media world and you can give us all these snippets in terms of the highs and the lows of building this career too so i'm sure there's more to write in the elizabeth basel story in the future but for now thank you so much best of luck with all the coverage you're doing there in tokyo this summer i can't wait to uh to listen in um but in the meantime like i said best of luck and thanks so much for your time today thank you for having me steve this was awesome and my thanks again to elizabeth for joining us on the show here today. Before we wrap up, I did want to bring something to everyone's attention, and it's uh, some sad news in relation to Elizabeth and her family. It was late last year that Elizabeth found out a family member had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, and she herself decided that she was going to be doing a 20-kilometer swim sponsored with uh, Swim Across America uh, back there in her home in Rhode Island, and to bring awareness to pancreatic cancer and sadly, soon after we recorded this episode, uh, her family member, who in fact ended up being her father, passed away uh, from stage four pancreatic cancer. And for me personally, having had this opportunity to speak with you, Elizabeth, prior to this happening, I cannot emphasize my absolute condolences towards both yourself and also the family during this time. But one thing I took from this episode that I hope all of our listeners took too was that if anyone can get through what is such a, and certainly seems like such an impossible time when you have such an excruciating loss like this of a family member, if anyone can get through this time, Elizabeth, it will be you. Uh, for all of the reasons that you explained to us today in terms of the summer that you became, in terms of the career that you're paving for yourself. And I look forward to seeing you honor your father's legacy uh, with this 20-kilometer swim not too not too far away from now and uh again my my absolute condolences to you i wanted our listeners to to be aware of this if they weren't already and uh, i cannot be more thankful of the time that you gave to the episode today elizabeth and just also the energy that you provided and the amazing perspective i hope for you the listener you were able to take from elizabeth's story and just some incredible stuff and the one thing i'm certainly going to hold on to it's finding that right environment for yourself to flourish. And Elizabeth has done that so well throughout her career, putting herself in areas where she can be successful, or certainly putting herself in, in areas where she knows she can optimize her greatest characteristics. And that's my message for you all to take away today. I look forward to having you all tune back into a new episode coming very soon. In the meantime, best of luck with anything and everything that you've got going on within your career and your lives. Give someone close to you today a nice 
good hug. Let them know how much you love them. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you all again very soon. Bye for now.